G'day and welcome to Great Southern's Grass Matters podcast. I'm James Fremantle, your host for today. And today we're talking to Professor Dave Pethick. Now, Dave Pethick is uh, he's the eating quality professor and we're going to have a, a deep dive into eating quality in beef and lamb. Um, Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. It's a great pleasure here to uh, talk about uh, Great Southern Beef and Lamb indeed. Thanks, Dave. Now, before we get to that, you grew up in that beautiful country in the Adelaide Hills, I understand. Can you give us a bit of a history of uh, what's brought you to um, agricultural biochemistry? Yeah, well, I was on a, on a family farm in, in the Adelaide Hills, sheep, a few cattle and, um, and some orcharding. And um, actually, to be honest, it was Dad. Uh, Dad was um, on the potato board. And uh, he reckons he was getting trumped by these buffoons who had uh, degrees or whatever. And he said, Bill, you, uh, you need to go to uni. And even if you don't use it, you just need to get that degree under your belt. And then we'll, between them, we'll, uh, we'll get them sort of thing. So that was, um, in a very simple way, uh, Dad's motivation that studying ag science would be, uh, would be good. And, um, well, once I started, I, I just had a thirst for, for knowledge. And, and in fact, I, I think... Um, all farmers have a thirst for knowledge. It's just, uh, and they are incredibly knowledgeable because of the day-to-day experiences with animals and pastures and, and climate and the vagaries. So, yeah, it was just a, a wonderful degree at Adelaide University. Dave, did you end up doing a PhD? I did. I, I was never going to. I was always going to come back to the farm and um, and help uh, as we got more established. We had Board Lester Stud, which is a maternal sheep breed. Anyway, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to get a scholarship to go to Cambridge University in the UK. And I said to Dad, Mum, I said, oh, I don't know, I better be careful what I say here, but, you know, there'll be sort of um, high and mighty uh, upper crust, upper crust uh, English people be there mainly, which was true somewhat. But um, anyway, of course, I went and uh, had three wonderful years at Cambridge University studying essentially the biochemistry of, uh, or, you know, the, the, the biology of, uh, of lactating and pregnant sheep and how they use their energy, you know, glucose, and the, how the rumen uh, influences their tissues. The rumen's a wonderful thing. It converts, of course, grass into um, substrates called volatile fatty acids, which then the tissues use. So they're quite, you know, biochemically, they're really different. And, and all biochemistry back in those days was based on the rat, the laboratory rat. Because uh, they're easy to get, I suppose, and yeah. somewhat uh, dispensable. But well, so, Dave, yeah, the early days of sheep and cattle research uh, at that biochemistry level was, was certainly fun and uh, and really invigorating. Yeah, fantastic. And and wherever you go, people are people, aren't they? And they are. There's good ones and bad ones. And my my dad used to always say that uh, he he worked in agriculture and and with uh, a lot of people with PhDs at the ag department, and he said that. They're people who learn more and more about less and less until they know everything about nothing. It doesn't seem like that's the case with you. Well, that's, uh, that's probably is many traditional professors used to become more and more specialists. That's what you're really saying. And, um, and perhaps in a way, I, I was like that for a few years. And then um, I broadened out when I came back to Western Australia and got a job at Murdoch University in the veterinary school. And that was a very diverse, for a start, um, you know, cats, dogs, horses, sheep, cattle, uh, uh, for a start, that diversified my thoughts, and then um, applying that biochemistry to to meat, uh, which is uh, which is a re- essentially um, 
protein, fat, glucose, metabolism. So, and the more you diversify into meat, it becomes uh, such a privilege to work across uh, from producers right through Great Southern, right through to the consumers. It's, a, it's an enormous privilege and um, the thirst just increases. The thirst for knowledge, that is. Dave, we talk a lot about eating quality, but it's the quantification of eating quality, isn't it, that has an impact in the marketplace and helps us to provide different levels for consumers. That's clearly um, something that Great Southern's excelled at, and, and, and that's been utilising the Meat Standards Australia uh, beef grading model, which does exactly that. It's one of the unique models that has grading appropriate to the level that you're prepared to pay for meat. So sure, if you just want to have uh, standard past meat, if you like, well, you'll pay a certain amount of money. But if you want supreme meat, perhaps like Little J, well, you, you, you'll, you'll pay more. So that basic principle is exactly what Great Southern's utilised. And it was one of the key parts of the MSA scheme that it grades them into categories. I simplistically call it, you know, distinction, credit, pass and fail. Yeah, right. Two, three, four, five star. You know, it's simple. Got you. What, what were the origins of the MSA grading scheme? Well, it's about 20 years ago when um, particularly the beef industry started to do surveys of consumers about consumer satisfaction and they were appalled at the answers. People, uh, something like 70 or 80% of consumers had trouble buying good beef. Price wasn't necessarily an indicator. And one of the only things they knew was... Um, that intramuscular fat or marbling was perceived to be bad by the average domestic consumer. So of course, when you put all those things together, we were in a hopeless state of affairs. And so it was perceived we needed a, or not perceived, it was the visionary people, and there are many of them said, look, we really need a, a proper grading scheme. Dave, just talk me through the categories that, that MSA covers. So MSA covers all the cuts in, in the body and it covers a number of different cooking methods. And within each one of those, you can grade the meat into um, two-star, three-star, four-star, or five-star, which is somewhat like um, fail, pass, credit, distinction, if you compare it to school. And, and, the, and the cutoff points are rather similar, you know, roughly 50 out of 100 is a pass, you know, it's actually 46, but, you know, things like that. And so the key was to use untrained consumers which had never been done before, as said it was, it was not possible. And the great vision of Meat and Livestock Australia was to put enough economic horsepower to measure thousands of them. And once you start measuring thousands of people, the answers become very clear. Things that you thought maybe affect things or whatever became very clear with big consumer studies. And so with Great Southern Beef Brands and the Great Southern Lamb mm. brand, mm. The, the schemes are, are modern and they incorporate other factors that consumers are interested in, don't they? Well, that's true. So we often use the generic term uh, in science, providence, which is a broad uh, description of other factors that uh, may not specifically change eating quality, but they're important in, in people's minds based on the production system. There probably are some subtle Flavour effects, if you like, grass versus grain, which the average consumer can't pick up, but I'm sure a connoisseur can. And also the idea that environmental impact is important, um, social impact is important, uh, the treatment of animals is important, uh, all contribute to provenance beyond the cold, harsh 
reality of does a beef steak eat well or not. I mean, things like antibiotics as well, whether, whether we... Yeah, it's part, of, it's part of provenance and it's very important considering that the overuse of antibiotics in other countries uh, has <coughs> caused, uh, you know, resistance to, to proliferate. So I think Australia is actually blessed that we have a low rates of it and uh, because of brands like Great Southern that insist on, on no antibiotics. And, and dentition, tell me about dentition. It's something about which I know very little, Dave. Yeah, well, as, as uh, cattle and sheep age, their, uh, their, their milk teeth uh, um, erupt uh, or fall out and, and adult teeth take their place, if you like, sequentially. And it's approximately uh, time-driven. So it's a, a crude index of age. And so it is used in some grading schemes to, if you like, exclude older animals. But um, the MSA system uh, chose to use ossification. So it's a, a system that looks at uh, the cartilage in the uh, carcass and sees how much calcium or, or ossification or bone like it is. So cartilage turns into bone as you get older. So my bones are very brittle and very old. There's no cartilage left. Uh, so it's, it's actually a better index and we call it physiological maturity. So it's a far more sensitive system for examining, if you like, the maturity effect of, uh, on eating quality. So in other words, if you like, an old cow will be tougher than a young steer, to put it simplistically, because the connective tissue uh, has become, that, that holds the meat together, has become very hard. But the, the yeah, thing I, about dentition, it just doesn't work finely enough to grade beef uh, by that physiological maturity, whereas ossification does. So it's a big step forward. Um, and um, uh, it's, it's, it's been used by Great Southern, but many, many brands still stick with dentition uh, for, for other reasons. Well, I remember distinctly growing up with we'd eat mutton or we'd mm. eat two tooth if it, yes. if it was a special occasion. There was very rarely was lamb on the on the menu. Yes, it's quite true. Most farmers, including ourselves, we had uh, well, it was called the killer paddock. But I probably shouldn't say that, but um, and they were usually uh, usually hoggets um, because they were used that young ewes that didn't didn't get in uh, in lamb. Typically, that's that's why they were mainly there. So uh, we've done considerable amount of work on on hoggett, and it's certainly a very viable product from a pure eating quality point of view. It it has less viability from a um, systems approach keeping the animals longer isn't necessarily the most productive way for it to go for farmers so lamb still wins hands down i'm afraid those farmers um need to understand that and what's what's the future for grading of lamb you know it's, well the future for grading of lamb i'd like to think is exciting uh, i mean the, the the current grading for lamb actually worldwide simply values lean meat yield or, or the amount of meat on, on the carcass. So uh, various measures, simple measures are taken to assess that. Um, and in Europe, they use something called a Europe score for both beef and cattle. So you end up with animals that look like uh, little short pigs, uh, very round, very meaty. Um, but of course their eating quality is declining. So um, the future for lamb is pretty impressive. Uh, probably the greatest thing is the genetic changes that have happened in the industry in the last five years. We were driving down intramuscular fat because we were selecting for a lean meat yield only. Now there's two things have happened. Uh, the Great Southern brand uh, has uh, increased carcass weights for better value through the abattoir, but also uh, this means the animal is better finished, uh, more weight in it. Uh, for some of those elite American markets and, and tablecloth markets in Australia. 
uh, in combination with the genetic changes, that intramuscular fat is, uh, is now holding its own. And in fact, we're pretty sure we have the best intramuscular fat values in lamb worldwide. So the future, of course, is for us to be able to measure that intramuscular fat in the abattoir so as uh, Great Southern can even further differentiate uh, their, their lamb brands. And it's pretty exciting. We, we've uh, just purchased a camera, a very, it's about a 2000, sorry, $200,000 camera. It's not a, oh. <laughs> it's not a cheapie uh, that measures many, many wavelengths that we're going to install on the uh, JBS middle machine in Brooklyn, which is really exciting. So looking forward to COVID declining and uh, getting back into the abattoir and, and getting this camera working and, and seeing where we can take lamb grading to uh, for, for Great Southern, which would be a, which would be just wonderful for, for, uh, for Great Southern, but also for science. What do you see, Dave, as the benefits for producers and, and what do producers need to be doing? Well, producers with respect to, um, with, with really the same as lamb and beef, um, you know, you need to good nutrition, good carcass weight, good fat cover, um, hopefully, you know, not too much because it's too wasteful and adequate marbling. Uh, in, in those particular brands to uh, secure the the top shelf, the top shelf position within Great Southern. That's a great thing about Great Southern. Of course, it's not just one brand; it's it's, it's a series of tiers within the overarching brand, which is uh, you know unheard of worldwide. So um, it'll be the right genetics, it'll be the right uh, feeding, uh, and the right turnoff uh, to meet uh, the specifications appropriate for the abattoir. So no, no real, no real magic things really in the future. Just better measurement, better feedback, and of course that's a great thing about the Great Southern is is the feedback uh, you get, uh, particularly for beef, is impeccable. So you can make decisions to to that it suits my production system to be this level or it suits it to be that level. Yeah, so the, the compliance levels are very high from producers, aren't they, because of that feedback? Well, the compliance level, um, uh, the key compliance one, of course, for Great Southern Beef is, uh, is pH. And one of the eternal problems with grass-fed uh, beef has been problems with pH. So pH is um, essentially driven by how much muscle sugar you have at slaughter in, in the muscles. So muscle sugar is a combination of uh, you know, good nutrition to pump the glucose and sugar into the muscle. And of course, low stress handling. So you don't use that glucose in exercise and stressful events. So we always used to say, um, you know, feedlot beef comes in you know, two to 5%, something like that. Often grass fed beef comes in at 20%. And uh, you know, Great Southern with a whole lot of work and help between the Great Southern team, Mark, and the producers are getting compliance now of around the five to four percent mark in in grass-fed beef. Now that's that's something we thought was theoretically possible ten years ago, and it's actually really possible right now. <laughs> mm, mm. Thanks for that work. And, and and where to next? What's the next level? The next level is to is to keep um, working on the appropriate supplements that uh, allow your product to still be grass-fed. You know, sorts of silage and legume-based um, and other, other, other products, non-cereal-based products to uh, supply the energy. And uh, then good cattle temperament, good cattle handling. For years, we used to think it was always the abattoir's fault for um, dark cutting, uh, too much stress, da-da-da-da-da. And we were astounded. And of course, once we started doing the measurements, we used to measure muscle glycogen on farm with a biopsy machine and measure it in the abattoir. And of course, we found um, the main issue is on farm. So whether it be bad cattle, whether it be bad handling or whether it be poor nutrition. Happy, happy uh, animals 
produce better meat. They do. That's right. And it's very, I mean, what I will say for that pH compliance and only Australia has this, it's incredibly important for export product. And of course, Great Southern has a very strong export face to it as well as domestic. But when you, when you send, you know, and it's got to be chilled, of course, to get that premium in addition to the potential eating quality, uh, high pH beef would just uh, be a disaster on, on a long haul a chilled scenario so yeah it's uh it's just a, it's just a great story and in fact it's very hard to underpin grass-fed beef without a really good grading system give us a summary of the key drivers of the different quality grades within great southern yeah well great southern's <coughs> excuse me great southern's a little different because of course it's already optimized many of the msa factors so and anybody i'm sure actually selling great southern beef at retail is certainly going to have the aging of the meat to most likely its optimal period, you know, could be five days for the tenderloin, but 20, 25 days for the strip or cube. So once you start breaking it down, the key thing is, uh, of course, you know, being in the South, it's all Bos, Bos Taurus cattle. You want good weight for age, which is really low ossification, you know, certainly under 200 typically. And then the other one you've got to play with is marble score. So your levers, uh, once you optimise MSA for this elite brand, become a little simpler, ossification and um, marbling. And that's shown or, or reflected in the MSA index. It's a great thing about the, the Great Southern brand is it's, it's underpinned by the MSA index. So the good thing about the MSA index is, one, you can set a generic threshold so to even get it into Great Southern. And, you know, it's going to be the top, I'll, have the, I'll get this number wrong, the top 10% of beef in Australia based on the index. So straight away you go, wow, it's a pretty good overarching brand. And then within that brand, you can use the index to further quantify your supreme eating quality, your very good eating quality, you know. So it's a, it's a brilliant system. And the farmer or, or beef producer, as well as the abattoir, can both use the index to optimise their, their, their both uh, their, their um, outcomes. And of course, the consumer op optimises their shopping. Yeah. By, you know, you've got your, your staple, your mm -hmm. four nights of the week, and then you've got your, your special occasion meats and, and mm. where you go for the beautiful high quality. I might be wrong, but I reckon oh, Great Southern would be the two nights, regardless of the brand within Great Southern, the other two nights of the week, and then you just choose how much you want to pay within those two nights. <laughs> Dave, a lot of our product is exported to the US and to other places. How do we stand up in terms of our grading compared to international standards? Well, I guess uh, we're, we're Australians who are very biased, but one, we're modern, and two, we have the best system. Uh, and it's partly because it's modern. So the USDA system has some strengths, don't get me wrong. It has ossification in it and it does have marbling in it. But that's all, it doesn't have anything else. It's not a cut-based system and things like hormones and aging of the meat, uh, how the carcass is hung in the abattoir, all those things aren't covered. So in a certain set of circumstances, it works fine, but you know, our system is far superior and it's particularly superior for grass-fed beef, unquestionably. Uh, the US system really, to be honest, is designed for grain-fed beef because that's their major, you know, that's their major product. With respect to lamb, well, you know, no one else has got any focus at all on intramuscular fat or quality systems. 
And so we, we're, um, unashamedly, we're, we, we used to be probably considered to be second behind New Zealand historically because New Zealand had a, a large export market to, to the EU. But um, since we've opened up the US market, um, the Australian lamb has just gone ahead in, in leaps and bounds. So, yeah, we, we, are, we are definitely number one for carcass grading and, and eating quality outcomes for, for lamb and beef. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of it. Terrific. Well, I can vouch for that. We've got uh, seven lambs at our place and uh, they're all looking delicious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talk me through mm-hmm. a beautiful eating experience. What, you know, I've got two. To you? <clears throat> and they're both ribeyes. Um, one's a lamb ribeye or a lamb cutlet. Uh, nothing beats a lamb cutlet uh, d- done appropriately, whether it's cooked as a roasted as a rack or, or you know, barbecued or uh, grilled individually. And the same goes for a, a beef beef ribeye, whether it be a whole cube roll roasted uh, for a party, or um, or a ribeye yeah, on the steak. Nothing like you know, I've only ever had Little Joe once, which is of course the supreme Great Southern, uh, and uh, wow, he yeah, blew the socks off. I, I suppose the I suppose the dark horse cut. I will say it is um, like a Great Southern rump would be a real I, good I don't think they produce cut. dark horse cuts, uh, Dave. Well, when I mean dark horse, it's a, a dark horse for the consumer. You know, rumps often thought, oh, well, you're done, da, da, da. But I can tell you now, for, for having a decent party, you buy a whole rump, a whole great southern rump, and you put that on the, on the Weber and uh, just let it tick away, you'll be, uh, you'll be pretty popular at the end of the night. Yeah, stop it. I'm salivating. That's right. <laughs> and what would, you, uh, what would you accompany these magnificent cuts with, Dave? Most likely a red from South Australia, I'd say a red wine, probably a Shiraz from South Australia. McLaren Vale, number one, uh, Barossa, two, and, uh, and down Panola, you know, Kunawara, number three. But they're, they're a bit like Great Southern. They're all right up there. They're all very top brands. <laughs> very good taste, Dave. Uh, very ex- quite expensive taste, too, by the sound of it. Uh, been great to have you on the uh, Great Southern Grass Matters podcast. Professor Dave Pethick, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, been a great chat. At home, you guys can listen to our Great Southern Grass Matters podcast every Thursday from 2pm. And please follow us on the socials. That's Instagram and Facebook at Great Southern Family. And we'll talk to you next time. That was a smooth finish. <laughs>